Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 105 of Control the Controllables. If you are a British tennis fan, I'm sure you remember this. He serves. He gets the first serve in. And amazingly, Barankis hits wide. Marcus Willis has produced one of the most amazing performances here after coming through six qualifying rounds in this, his very first match in a Grand Slam. And look what it means to him and everybody else who's been supporting him here. A sensational performance. Come on, who doesn't have goosebumps after listening to that? And that is, of course, Marcus Willis. 2016 Wimbledon, seven matches won, some amazing scalps to make his way all the way to centre court where he played Roger Federer. What a Roy of the Rovers story that was. Marcus last week announced his retirement from tennis and over the last five years since 2016 Wimbledon, he's only played 48 singles matches since. We delve into the highs, the lows, and there's many of both. He doesn't hold back. He talks incredibly honestly. I think it's a must-listen for parents, for players, for coaches to really understand this sport. I'm going to pass you over to Marcus Willis. So, Marcus Willis, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing, young man? Good, thank you. Not too bad at all. It's great to have you on and great timing to have you on because you can't sit there with a smug look on your face with the way that your football team's currently performing. No, I can't. I can't. Uh, yeah, we've uh, lost seven home games in a row and scored one goal, which was a penalty, which is uh, really good. And you I'm thought running I'm... out of ideas and excuses now. Like I'm getting people in my grill, <laughs> just you... giving it a large one. I've got no answers for them. And you, and you thought I was going to ask you first about your retirement, but I think no, that, no, I think this, this is the real story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but it, but doesn't it just show sports amazing? Really, you know, like they look like world beaters a few months ago, and then all of a sudden, I guess you can probably relate to that from a tennis side as well. Yeah, confidence is massive, right? And yeah, we've lost a couple of players, but who hasn't? And it's, it, it, there's a number of reasons. Obviously, we haven't really worked out yet, but yeah, momentum, confidence is. Is number one really? Yeah, because absolutely. as you said, it looked like we, we were winning every game last season. Like last minute, we always thought we were going to win. Like pretty similar team, just different mindset, different intensity, and it's just gone at the moment. And there's no crowd to get them going. Like it's pretty dead out there. They look, yep, really shocking. Yeah, they look tired. That's for sure. Mm. And moving into the tennis bit for those listening, saying, how dare you talk about football on this tennis podcast? Uh, so obviously. Age 30, I believe, have decided only two or three days ago the announcements come out. 
that it's time to hang up the bats for good. So, so tell us how you've come to that, how you're feeling. Uh, yeah, mixed emotions, really. I mean, I didn't want to have to, but um, in my situation, what, 30 years old, family. Um, yeah, I kind of got to a stage where I was just over the whole process of uh, trying to push water up a hill. <laughs> Yeah. and getting no money for it so i just found it very very difficult with the not just the system but the level of tennis is very good out there and especially in doubles now i, I decided to quit singles a while ago a couple of years ago and doubles now yeah it's, it's a very difficult journey um and there's yeah not a whole lot of money in it and realistically i'd have if i best case scenario if, if i was going to get my ranking up there it'd take two three years at least at probably losing 30k a year if we're yeah. being realistic about it yeah um, and I just didn't want to put my family through it or, or myself through it because yeah. I've done this since I was seven, 17, 18. I had funding for a couple of years. The rest of the time it's hustle town. And it's just, I just had enough, mate. I was turning up tournaments like I w- walked onto a match court and I was just not really fired up. Like it was just gone. I tried to fight it for a while and it was the worst thing I could have done because that like, affected me mentally as well. Like, yeah, it got, it got quite lonely out there and, uh, I just thought, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. one's winning here really now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of time to think about it and, and that's a good and a bad thing, as I said, but I know I'm doing the right thing. I mean, there's, there's not really many options for me, to be honest. But do you think COVID's brought that on as well? Because obviously I think COVID's added a layer of difficulty to this as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just made things even harder than they were. I mean, I was quite, this time last year, I was out in Turkey Playing, playing futures, quarterfinals, lost in the quarters of a futures doubles. I was quite happy traveling weeks and weeks. And then, yeah, COVID struck. And well, you need to make money at the end of the day, don't you? The opportunities are very small. Yeah. There's not really a lot. I've been on the building site the last three weeks with my cousin just trying to make some money. So until tennis opens back up. Right. Okay. Um, I've been hustling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is the, it's, it's the reality that a lot of people don't see. But I've got to also pick up on something you said around around mentally. I think this sport does a lot to a lot of people mentally that you that, that the people watching don't realise. Is that something that you've had to deal with throughout your career, or is that something that's a little bit more recent? Uh, throughout my career, definitely uh, from the age of probably 21, anytime you're alone with it, really. When I was growing up in the juniors, you're always, the junior tour is very different to the, the men's tour, as you know. Yeah. So you're always with a group of people and everything's great. You're getting things paid, you're playing grand slams. And then a year out, you're still pretty fresh. And then by the time I was 20, 21, it was very, very different, yeah. And you're alone a lot. It's just, it's very, very difficult. You're always battling to try and make money. You're sleeping on mate's sofas. You just, it's, yeah, it's a really difficult journey. Yep. And there's some been some really tough times. Yeah, really good. The ups and downs are, are, are mad, actually. Especially in my career and my life, I feel like the highs have been really high and the lows have been really low. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, yeah, that's another reason. I just want a bit of normality for a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, as much as possible and just not worry about paying rent or mortgage or not having that worry about absolutely everything while you're trying to do something that's very hard anyway. And I think, I guess to those listening, you you started traveling when you were 17. You, you've done it pretty much for 13 years. How have you managed to do it for 13 years if it's been that difficult up and down? Well, as a, um, in the junior days, I traveled with my dad, played ETAs. I, I think I was like 20th in Europe, under 16. 
we used to drive around. My dad didn't used to like flying, so we used to drive around Europe everywhere. It was carnage. But I always had someone with me in the junior days. And as I said, I was ranked 14 in the world juniors, playing all the slam seeded, playing at Wimby twice in front of my family and friends. It was all good. It was all positive. It wasn't until I was 2021 20, where I was alone. And when I was 23, I quit the first time. I wasn't planning on quitting for good. I just had no money, really. Yeah. And so I started hitting at David Lloyd Range Park to try and earn some cash whilst, you know, I think I played eight tournaments. They had tournaments in England that year. They had 20-odd futures. So that kept me in the game, actually, doing that. I was ranked like 1,000, 1,100. But um, how did I hang in there, mate? Yeah, I don't know. I always had a... Yeah, it's strange to me. I always had a... I'd have a couple of bad weeks. I'd always bounce back, find myself motivated again, somehow. Um, and I always wanted to play men's Wimbledon. That was a massive dream of mine. Had I quit, I would have been really probably a man, a man with uh, regrets and um, a chip on his shoulder had that not happened. I still might be now, but not so much. Well, you, I mean, we'll, we will get into, again, for anyone listening, Marcus Willis, type in Google, Marcus Willis 2016, if you've not come across it. But I guess even hearing you talk, it almost feels like that was such a high. And it was, we're talking yeah. like a movie. Like there, there has to be a movie on that one day. You know, it was like like nothing that anyone's ever seen. And, and not just in British tennis, but in global tennis. You know, you went from like you said, not really playing tournaments to all of a sudden just being absolutely everywhere. But then since then, you've only played 48 singles matches. 48, and yeah. 48 since since that Wimbledon. Do, do you think almost the high of that has then made the last few years even more difficult? Because I guess there has to be some comparisons yeah. all the time. Mate, honestly, yeah, I didn't want to play for, for a while because I thought it's never going to get this good again. Yeah, uh, and that's a really negative way of speaking, uh, thinking, and speaking. And then, but it's true. Like anything I do from now on, like singles. What well, I'm getting, I was getting older, so I then decided to pack singles in and give it a go in dubs. Um, but yeah, always in my head, it was quite negative a lot of the time. Like it was such a high, and then you bounce back down to planet Earth. And actually, I think I won a futures in November that year. Didn't lose a set there. But my level was good. I was playing pretty well. Got married, had a kid. Yeah, looking back, I didn't really fully commit. Yeah. I sort of trained with a personal trainer. I was in good shape, but I wasn't training with good players. I was just hitting at the local David Lloyd and floating around. And there's only so long you can do that, really. Yeah. There's only so long you can get away with that. And yeah, I think my last match was, was a shocker at Nottingham a couple of years ago. And that's when I was like, okay, singles, I'm done. Yeah. But yeah, looking back, I, yeah, life circumstances and being through what I went through, I probably would have either gone, you know, full-time academy somewhere or probably hang it up, <laughs> not float in between. But I don't blame myself. You have to be sure when you come to these sorts of decisions, you have to have to know. Yeah. And I don't think it would have been normal or I'd always be thinking, what if, had I just hung my bats up after Wimby or fully committed? But as you reflect, yeah. as, as you reflect on it, I guess, you know, often on these podcasts, we normally start at the beginning, but I guess we've started, we're always making our way back down from re retirement yeah. down with, with you. And, and I think 
it, when you reflect on it, because you were, I think you were about 20 in the world in, in juniors. You were obviously part of a very, a very talented group coming through with Dan Evans, Dan Cox, Dan Smethurst. There was, there was a big group of you that were kind of coming through at that time. Yeah. If, what would your reflections be on why you didn't push on more in those earlier stages of your career? Um, there's a number of reasons, like anything, really. I think, I don't think we were all managed the right way. I think yeah. we had a lot of individual characters that were all treated the same, or we had the same coach playing the same tournaments. Yeah, I don't think that's right. I think you had to look or behave a certain way to be sort of yeah. accepted, play a certain type of style. That's that's what I felt. I mean, I, I, I worked with Magnus Tiedemann just before I moved there, and we won a grade one in Canada just for US Open. I won that tournament and probably yep. made final the men's futures. That's my first one at Mago. And then I'm told three weeks later, you, you got this coach and it wasn't him. Yeah. And sort of three weeks in, it wasn't quite working. World-class coach I had, but, you know, wanted me to run around my back end and play a certain way, which I didn't feel comfortable with. And, and after three weeks, I'm asking, you know, can I play with Mago, please? No, you right. can't. That's your coach. Deal with it. And yeah. I just think that's wrong. That, that's I'm, I can only speak to my point of view and obviously I had problems with my weight but I was very fit I was the second fittest and out of eight my yep. endurance was pretty much the best my speed was good yeah and it was just oh you don't look quite right <laughs> you know what I mean and, and my results were good I was ranked highest in the group but I just found it really frustrating because I was working hard and yeah I do muck around off court and it took me a while to mature but I put the work in I got the results yep. and it just kind of wasn't enough yeah and then when you drop 20, 21 years old and I hadn't grown up, of course. Yeah, I was making poor life choices when I was training. So I can only take responsibility for that for myself. But again, I was just, you know, very, very lonely in a world that yep. you need some help, you know. Absolutely. You're still, as a 20-year-old bloke, you still not many people know what they're doing. Most people are still at uni. So I just feel like, yeah, and, and even now, I don't, I don't know what's going on so much now, but I, I felt like it we were all managed pretty poorly because I think our group of Paul Flea, Alex Ward, me, Cox, Smethurst, Evans, I think, yeah, we should have all been up there, at least ranked a bit higher than we probably ended up. Yeah. I think um, the big thing you see, And that's there. not the only age group, right? Look, looking no. at guys your age, like, I don't know why it happens, but there's a pattern and it's not happening. And I think I look at a country like France and they've got so many, you can't really define a French player apart from being flary. They've all got yeah. different styles, right? Yep. Lodgeron, Mahou, Benito, Simon, um, Olivet, like you've got so many different styles of play and they just accept who you are. Yep. And I don't see that in England. I look at yep. all the lads trying to play a similar game, aggressive baseline, and that's it. That's yep. the way they want you to play. It's not, and it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I think as well, it's it's not a cookie cutter thing, is it, a tennis player? No. It's, and it's, and, and I definitely, going back to our era, and I think what we're, I'm basically 10 years older than you, I remember having conversations when when we were all having success at Bolton at the time, you know, and there was a group of us doing very well. And we were, they were trying to move us down to Queen's Club, which at the time was the, I guess, the NTC. I remember, yeah. And I said, why? We're, yeah. doing, we're doing great. You know, like Sherwood's 200 in the world. I'd just come out of college. I won a couple of futures. You know, the, the, Johnny Murray was doing very well. Andrew Banks was doing very well. Yeah. And, it, and, and I said, look, I've got a few questions I want to ask. 
you know, who, who's going to be first and foremost, who's going to be my coach. Cause that's really important to me. Like, yeah. someone, you know, and, and, be, yeah. and, it, and it was just very similar. Then it was, it was, well, actually don't worry about that, but you've got to come <laughs> down, you know? And, and I remember going down and nobody caught, nobody coached me for 12, 18 months. I was on court doing two, two cross one line with players that played that game style I don't think I served volleyed once in, you know, which was my game style. And, yeah, you, know, yeah, so, same, so, yeah. you know, so I think those, those areas, and I think I hope now that those, those things are being taken care of a little bit more now I that think they are. it's starting to be understood. So in terms of, you mentioned Mago, who we've had on the podcast, actually, uh, yeah. it, it was brilliant. What, what was it that you connected with him so well on? It was my mentality. It was more, I felt good going on and it wasn't like you have to play this way, just get the job done, win, don't miss second every turn. So, um, I just got really tough yeah. and I was winning matches. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about my style or I was just, I'm good. I've got a good serve. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to come off court losing. That was my mentality. Yeah. With other coaches, it was, ah, you know, I've got to get around this ball, go inside out, inside in, play my pattern. But I never did that to get as good as I was. So yeah, yeah. I, I went to the the LTA and I, my first year out of juniors, I was like 5.50 and I went with good serve, really attacking backhand, came to the net all the time, forehand would break down and I ended up being a better, better athlete. Forehand didn't break down, but no real weapon. I remember I lost eight second rounds in a row, futures, just because I was just okay. And that's not men's 10x, is it? It's, no. My coach Victor would have done his nut had he seen the training. As I said, we didn't, Played 11s out the hands. We didn't hit serves. We hit serves twice a week. It just, it just really wound me up. And looking back, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because you've got all the facilities. You've got some of the best coaches on paper in the world. A, you're not allowed to access them. And B, I don't know. It's not. I was never asked, how do you want to play? How do you feel? It was all, you're doing it. And yeah, as I said, my age group was good. And there's other age groups. And I feel like there's tons of players in England who should have, would have, could have. And if I flip it, if I flip it around a bit though, Marcus, and you, you know, you mentioned about not having the look, that's something I certainly, certainly have had. And and I feel very comfortable talking to you about it because I was always the bigger tennis player. Being from Newcastle, maybe the face and the voice doesn't always fit. I was always seen as a bit of a joker. So I feel I can kind of empathise with it coming from your point of view. But what would you say if people said the issue with British tennis is that you've got the likes of Marcus Willis that are playing futures and they're not taking care of themselves and they're not in good shape and they're out drinking beer and they're not doing things correctly. Yeah, for me, it wasn't, I, was, I wasn't doing the wrong things all the time. It was just, I'd do it sometimes. And obviously that's not enough. You could say, yeah, decisions weren't as good, but that's my personality. And I think there are some players that still, they're not maximising, but they're still doing it now. And I don't think it's as easy as, it's not like I'm, I didn't know it was stupid. Yeah. I just obviously found it very difficult to do the right things all the time. And like someone else would find it difficult to find that extra percent, 10% to train hard, hard in training. I don't know. I feel yeah. like because it's off court, people look at it more. Oh, well, that's easy. That is yeah. not, it's, it's not easy. I don't find it easy. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to mature. I was, yeah. I had quite strict parents growing up. So I, I felt like when I had some time to myself, um, I was free, you know. Yeah. I, I could do what I wanted as such. That's yeah, my personality. That I made some some bad decisions. I made some good ones. But ultimately, I think yeah, everyone needs help in 
diff- with different things. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, occasionally if you do the wrong thing, you can get away with it. Like, I think if you if you it's controversial saying this, but I think if you do the right things ninety percent of the time or or more, then then results will look after themselves. It's like diet. If your diet's good ninety percent of the time, then you can have a, a crap meal or two a week if you're yeah. training well on you. So I mean, I wouldn't advise it if you can avoid it, then don't. But I think if you're working your absolute nuts off, and okay, yeah, don't go out before a match, but say after a tournament you go out and then you start training again on Monday, I think that's fine. Yeah. Well, I think it's also management of individuals, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's like, you know, I know that even players I've worked with over the years or players I've played with, some of them need that release of nights out. Uh, yeah. And, and, and some of them, it absolutely doesn't work. And he won't mind me mentioning a, old Lloyd Glasspool. Old Lloyd was like, was following Evo, like he saw Evo doing it. So then, so then Lloyd yeah. did it, and then Lloyd would cramp for two weeks. You know, if Lloyd, yeah. if Lloyd had a night out, and it just it didn't suit his personality. Whereas no. somebody managing an Evo, or I would imagine a Marcus Willis, it's a little bit more like, right, mate, we're going to go and win these two tournaments, and at the end of these two tournaments, I'm going to give you Monday, Tuesday off. Go and have your night out on Saturday. Go and do what you need to do. Make sure when yeah. you come back Wednesday morning, you're ready to rock and roll again. Yeah. You know, that type of that type of management. And that's I think that's the bit of tennis coaching that, that a lot of people don't see. Yeah. It's understanding the individual and getting the most out of them. You're right. Um, I was, yeah, a, a few coaches said to me, oh, let me know if you go out, like I get it. And sort of said, oh, just be honest with me and blah, blah. And I told this coach, oh, yeah, I had an eye out the weekend. And he tells the boss and I'm called into the boss's office. And I'm like, well, do you know what I mean? I can't be honest with you if you're then going to go and stab yeah. me in the back. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. And like people see me and go, oh, well, this top lad. And everyone loves a story and that. But whenever I do something, it's noticed more, I guess, now. And people like to talk about it because they find it funny or whatever. But I probably wasn't as shrewd as I would be now. Like, I didn't yeah. keep things to myself, which I probably would do a bit more now. Yeah. Um, don't trust as many people as but I, yeah. I was young and I thought, you know, I saw the best in everyone. I thought oh, I was fine, just to be honest. Wasn't very clever. So how would you now age 30, if you if you coach a young Marcus Willis, how would how would you coach you? Um yeah, work on weapons. Work on weapons on court and off court, yeah make sure you're putting in a shift and working hard but when the time's right yeah do it and and don't say you can't do it to someone like that oh you know this is wrong to do that because it's going to make people want to do it more yep and if you say if you restrict things to people like myself or other people similar to me they're going to want to do it more so don't say oh just say we're not going to do it before match or we're not going to do it this weekend and there's something to look forward to and you know what you might not even want to go out you might not even want to yeah. You might be so toast after the five matches you played in three that you just pass out when you get back to the hotel. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think actually, first of all, be a have their back, yeah. look after them as a person because the tennis is already all right. And I think if you're happy off and on the court, then you'll play better. Certainly, I, I was very much a feeling player. Yeah. If I felt good, if I was relaxed, confident, I'd, I'd play great. Other people are different. You know, they're like sweating bullets, they're like practicing 45 minutes for a match. But again, it's understanding the individual. And I think they do that really well in France. And I think in England and the UK, it's been difficult. And I got made to feel like I was wrong because I was a certain way. And I don't think that was right. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, there's certain lines you shouldn't cross and certain things you shouldn't say. 
and I probably learned the hard way there, but I don't think, I think a lot of things were brought up that probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, well, I've been, I've been looking. I mean, I guess uh, if we get rid of Mr. Djokovic, who's probably going to take over, take over the other two. But I've been fortunate enough to be on a practice court with Nadal and Federer, who, who arguably will go down as these two greatest ever male players. Yeah, and and it's like they couldn't be any more different their practice sessions, and and like, yeah. like it couldn't be any more different. Like Fed, Fed's just complete chilled. You know, having a bit of banter, talking about this, a few slices, a bit of this, very low intensity. The Dal is like the highest intensity. Yeah. Almost like you feel like he's gonna like kill you with his eyes and his his stare. Yet, you know, there's more than there's more than one way to skin a cat, you know, and, and yeah. it's and, and 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 I guess that's what that's what we're saying here. That's what Roger knows he's gonna be relaxed and play good if he has that type of session, right? Yeah. I'm sure in the off season they're both killing it but yeah there's there's different personalities in tennis and i think yeah i think the talent's there the money's there facilities there but the knowledge that actually taking a step back and trying something different it hasn't been there but yeah look it's a hard job to do right if you've got a youngster who appears to not care or maximize their potential then it could yeah. be frustrating i guess but i don't think that's a, a reason to go ah oh, sod them you know if we're not going to get 100 percent out of them now let's get 90 let's get 95 keep them in the game let's keep them good because yeah. yeah as you say there's more than one way to skin a cat and there's more than one way to make it yeah, i'm sure there's different transition periods there's different um and i think it was there's too much if you're not this ranking by this or this shape or this weight then you've had it yeah and it made no sense to me because yeah. i was all about results and what about regrets what about regrets Oh, tons i mean my, my life between 21 and 23 wasn't wasn't probably as professional as it should have been. I was always at tournaments thinking, oh, can't wait to go out at the end of the week. Or I'd always get, I'm very naturally competitive. So I always turned up in matches and gave it some, but I got out of shape. I was, yeah, doing the wrong thing. If I had my time again, obviously I wouldn't do that, but there was a reason I did. There was a reason I did. I'm not exactly, yeah, sure as to why, but it felt like I needed to get out of my system as such then. Yeah. Maybe it was a subconscious, I don't know. Who knows? But like, I can't. I can't look back and go. Ah, oh, you know, I do. I do look back and go. Oh, if I had my time again, knowing what I do now, I wouldn't have. Was it linked been to where I was? But I was. Yeah, as I said, it's it's too easy to say that now. Like, oh, yeah. it's too obvious. Like saying oh, I should have gone line there. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was it was it linked to self esteem, linked Probably. to insecurities, especially being? I mean, I can again, I can relate. Being a bigger guy. In yeah, a sport like definitely. tennis, it's it's not it's not normal to be a bigger guy in tennis, and there is a lot of judgment on it. You know, yeah, and I think everyone lived up like had this opinion. Oh, he's a joker, he's a good lad. So I played up to it a bit, maybe. Maybe it's a popularity thing. Maybe yeah, it's definitely an insecurity and um, a way of coping as such. But yeah, I, I wasn't. I'm actually quite a sensitive person. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, people won't think that they'll think, oh, he's a lad and blah blah. But no, it's. Like behind closed doors, I'm just I'm actually quite chilled most of the time. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because I got bit out of my system, but yeah. Certainly, yeah. I think it was I was probably hiding the way I was feeling, maybe or yeah. um playing up to it. Or, I enjoyed myself, like I hang around with some really had some great nights out and some great life experiences, but probably at the wrong time. And it wasn't like, you know, every week as I said, I'd go through a month of training my nuts off and I'd just lose my way a bit every now and again. Yeah. 
to the point where it would add weight and I probably yeah definitely wasn't giving 100% overall but um, no, luckily I, I worked hard enough on the court to keep myself somewhat in the game so um, I'm grateful for that yeah regrets as such it's more if there's young people like me I, I really really will try and help them if I see characters or someone struggling I'll try and yeah that's what I want to do now try and help someone else yeah that's what it's about for me I don't it's disappointing. I look back quite frustrated sometimes, but it could have been a lot worse. I'm, I'm grateful for my Wimbledon run because I think that's yeah, closed a lot of things in my head probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we've had I've had it. I had Lee Childs on the on the show earlier, uh, one of our early shows, and we talked a lot about this about about regret. And I think all of us carry a little bit of regret in, in yeah. tennis players, but one thing, the way that he put it, because that, that regret can be quite painful if, yeah. we allow, if we don't, if we don't own it. And I think if we, if we absolutely take ownership of that regret and an ownership of going, well, actually, do you know what? That's how it was. That was about the choices I made at that time. And you know what? I can't change it now, but what I can do, exactly what you're saying here, I can take those experiences and I can turn them into a positive by by helping yeah. out other people. Then, then I don't think the pain is carried as much. Whereas I think there's probably some tennis players out there that have ne- never quite taken ownership of it and yeah. they're still carrying this regret and this Picking pain. up the bottle probably, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And it, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it comes out in other ways. Yeah, like it's not just tennis, it's sport in general. You see a lot of retired people just also the highs and the lows. Like you don't get those highs anymore when you play. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's really difficult. You got to, I've make sure I'm keeping myself really busy and everything I do is trying to help someone or be positive because yeah. otherwise, yeah, it can get on top of you. And influencers, I guess, you know, you've mentioned that your parents were, were quite strict with you. Uh, you've also mentioned Victor, who is uh, Victor from uh, from Bisham Abbey, who I know Victor very well and is, a, is an amazing guy. Who, who who were some of the biggest influencers in your in your tennis career? Positive well, Victor was great. Victor was awesome. We spent a lot of time with him, me and Neil Porfley, sort of eight years, just me and him. So he taught us a lot on and off court. He was very polite man quite serious but by the end we were joking around off court and but his passion for tennis was amazing like everything he spoke about it'd ring me on some weekdays thinking about parts of my game just because he loves it and he really wants to help so I was very lucky with with that to have someone because had I had a coach who just work hard on court and leave you to it then who knows where I would have been, what I would have done my parents, yes, yeah, strict because yeah, I think they, they saw the joker in me and uh, my dad's like an accountant. He, he had to grow up very quickly. It was, there was four of us living in a one-bedroom flat. He had to go and train to be an accountant. And I think he saw me as someone who's probably a bit too relaxed. Um, so, he, yeah, out of concern, he was trying to teach me work ethic and yeah. being sensible. So, no, which, which I needed. I, I came out quite a nicely balanced kid, I think. Yeah, influences. I've had, I've had loads of pretty big name coaches. I, I said Mago, Paul Anacone did some work with me and wasn't really long enough to, to say I had a life influence. But no, I, I love spending time with Mago because he was just a nice dude. Yeah. And I'd actually learn more off court than on court a lot of the time. He, he was no bullshit, just very, very adamant that you had to have good manners and be a decent bloke. So that was nice to be around. Matt Smith. Yep. So when I was 23, 24, I started training at Serbton again. I was on a 
having a few beers and I bumped into him and he was like, what are you doing? Basically. So I started training with him and I've never worked so hard in my life for about three, four years. And I think that really got some ability out on the match court. And I think without that, one wouldn't have happened either. I wouldn't have had the ability to be the players I did. Other than that, you pick up bits and bobs from people all over the place. Gary Lewis also took a big chance on you, huh? He did, yeah. I mean, very grateful for them. Came to me when I was 23, sat at Range Park and said that, um, we'll sponsor you if you play some matches for us. And then from there, I got from, I think, 1,100 to 350 in the first year. Yeah. And then paired up with Burt's, did really well in the end, yeah. There, there was no falling out, um, but obviously they're putting a lot of money in and um, I was then good enough to go and play Wimby Collies and sort of crack on um, without so much of their help. So, but yeah, without them, mate, I wouldn't have been able to, to play. So is that, um, is, that, is that the reality? Is, is the reality... That you that you do need money in this sport. Yeah, you need money or a private sponsor or the unbelievable saving or hustling or you know, Fitzpatrick used to go on sofa. There's a website where you can stay around the people's houses on sofa. Like it's just the hustle's unreal. Or yeah, private sponsor, or yeah, but you're playing loads of French league matches, German league, but then when you're doing that, you can't play as many tournaments. So something's gotta give. It's, yeah, I mean, the, when there were tournaments in, in the UK and they had the bonus scheme, that was the best position I've ever seen British teams in. Yep. They had 10, 15 players between two and 400. Like, it was looking pretty good. And then without, you know, any saying it, it's scrap. There's no futures anymore. Yeah. And we live on an island, so it's 500 quid to get anywhere. You're looking at a hotel return flight and a couple of bags, mate. It's, it's, that's the reality, yeah. yeah. And you're picking up checks that aren't that big at the lower ring tennis. Even in Challies, me and Bert's made a Challie final and got $900 and then taxed that 30%. So that's $600 for 400 quid. doesn't even cover your flight to make a final of a Challie. So it's like, you really have to get up there if you want to make money, for sure. And you and you mentioned there about the, because we've had a few people on the show that have, that have said that the way that they would do funding in British tennis is by putting more tournaments on. Put the tournaments on, cream rises yeah. to the top, cheaper to travel, make some money through, you know, through your tournaments and then yeah. and that's your bonus scheme as well. Well, that's it, yeah. You, there used to be over 20 in the UK and yeah, it's much easier when, when there's tournaments in Bournemouth, Edinburgh, Newcastle to say, oh, I've got relatives in Bournemouth, I'll stay with them that week. I can get the train home if I lose and crack on with training, hitting, whatever, and then go to the next tournament. Even even in Ireland, there's a couple there. You can, it's, it's doable. <laughs> But when your two futures are start of the year, when there's four other tournaments on in the world and everyone's piling over to Glasgow and it's an absolute circus in a 25k. And then the grass court challenges, as you know, are just ridiculous. One year I played first round quality serves and I played Kudler. I won five in the third. And that same day I played Demonor, who just beat six of our first round colleagues. <laughs> I lost to Demonor in three. And had I won, I would have played Shapovalov for five points. Like that's my section to get five points to be in the main draw of a challenge. Yeah. In twenty seventeen, I believe, or twenty eighteen. Twenty seventeen. They're your opportunities. That's a British sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those events can't count really, can there? As, as no, but the can't. futures are also uh, uh, they're always time with you know January when there's four other tournaments on in the world. They're, they're never like middle of summer where there's eighteen other tournaments on. It's always an absolute circus. Yeah, yeah, Glasgow, right. Sunderland every year, yeah. Yeah, it's nailed. It is. Got Sizling playing last year. I played Viola the year before in the quarters of 10K. Like, yeah. 
And my dad, my old man, came with me after Wimby 2018. Watched me play. I beat Desain, who won the challenger at Glasgow a few years before I beat him. Four and five second round, lost to Viola in the quarters for two points and 183. And he went, God, I didn't realise it was this hard, mate. Like, no wonder you struggled. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is every year. I've been, I've been at Scott's Tomb Leisure Centre for 10 years now. And you think enough's enough sometimes, right? I remember you playing Evo in the final there, maybe one year, actually. Yeah, that's my first final. That's when I was with Mago, I think. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I pulled out. I was setting a breakdown and I really wasn't feeling good. Didn't want to give him the win. But I know I gave him the win, <laughs> but yeah, I, was, I was really struggling. Like, I was sick the night before. and Yeah, obviously I wasn't going to win, but I got, I got to the stage where I was trying to like stay on court, but I was getting dizzy and the doctor said, no, stop. Right, okay. It was like six one three, six two three love or something. And then Mago bought me off the match saying, just stand on the court and then eight. And I was like, okay. But I'm not saying I would have won here. I'm just saying that like, I couldn't. I'm really struggling. <laughs> I've got no issue losing to Evo like I have a few times. But... You must have had a couple of wins over Evo as well in your time. Yeah, I think I've got a winning record. I think I'm 6-5 or 6 all or whatever, head-to-head. But I lost to him in a couple of finals, 6-6, six and six, Shrewsbury. I beat him at Glasgow Challey to qualify one year. Pre qualies, I lost six and six the last time I played him, 2019 or 2018. We've had some, he, he doesn't like playing me. I'm a lefty and we know each other well. So it's always been a good match. It's always fun playing him as well because yeah. there's a lot of net play, there's a lot of Absolutely. good shots going yeah. on, lobs, you know what it is. So. Yeah. And what do you think about what he's going on? And he's, I mean, he's just, he's taken it to just another level, huh? Yeah, he's, he's always been that, that gifted. It's really nice to see, actually. But his journey's not been normal either. He's had a few ups and downs, and to say the least. Um, it's nice that someone's doing it. Someone's made it from our group. It, it was probably likely going to be him because he was, although he wasn't, you know, his results weren't amazing under 16, under 18. You could always see that some of the wins he had, some of the performances he had were just ridiculous. It's nice to see. I, I do like following, following, I like watching him play, man. It's great to watch. He is, yeah. Great to watch. So. But something like that, when we're talking about, Kind of the mental difficulties, the loneliness. We we get into this bubble as tennis players where we start to compare a lot, and we're yeah. you know we're looking at when, when somebody that you're so close to and have been brought up playing against, when he's going on there and and creating this career top hundred, top fifty career, and you're stuck in Turkey, are, are you able to celebrate his success, or or does there end up being that little bit of no, I was always really good. Like growing up with paupers and you want to get higher ranked than people because so you get put on trips. But I've always been quite, if other people do well, I know I'm really happy for them. It doesn't change where I am. That's what I'm mainly focused on. Um, but yeah, under 14, under 16, there's loads of that. But as yeah. I've grown up, I, I like seeing people surprise. I like seeing underdogs. I like seeing mates do well. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it actually tries to get me fired up as well. I think, oh, you know, I can do it as well. Yeah, especially I recently, think... it's really nice to see someone you know and a mate doing well. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's the right way to. I be. never think, oh, that could be me. I never think like that because, as you say, it's different, different path, and it, it's you'd be there all day. You'd think, oh, I beat him, but then I lost to him, and then some bunny down the road thinks he can be top fifty in the world. Yeah, it happens. Win. It happens because of a mutual <laughs> win somewhere. It's like, come on, yeah. come on, don't kid yourself, like. He's an incredibly good player and it's life, isn't it? It's just ultimately, you just crack on what you do. But we're talking about the realities 
will bomb. And, and, and I guess the reality is, uh, and I must admit, when I saw that you were playing just doubles, the reality is your level is a top 100 doubles player without question. You know, like go back to, I think, seven, 2017 Wimbledon, you basically beat the number one pair in the world in Mahout and, and Herbert. And, yeah. You, you know, and I think just again for those listening, I know you touched on it at the start, but the reality of you going from a thousand in the world doubles to top 50 in the world doubles, what does that journey look like? Well, you know how well Lloyd's been doing recently and he's 130 still. Yeah, this is Lloyd Glasspool to the listeners. He's made eight finals in five months. He's just won one, made 10 in a year of challenges and he's very very good there's no guarantee you know you have to play well to get there yeah um and he will get there but yeah it takes time it takes three four years i think financially for, for him now it's looking a bit better but still he, he won't be rolling in it off price you know? but yeah it's feasible once you're there but it just takes a, a hell of a long time and yeah coulda woulda shoulda but it's not something i'm willing to go through to get there yeah. it's not i'm not willing to lose the amount of money that it will cost for something that a might not happen and b is yeah it's, it's, a, it's a hard life out there i say just being away and picking up 18 euro checks it's just it, it comes to a point where i'm over that a bit now i'd like a bit of normality and i think it's quite interesting actually those doubles guys the ones that we've seen so if you take you take lloyd i mean he, he started his master's degree at, at loughborough a few months yeah. ago johnny o'mara started doing a degree at sterling university joe salisbury came out of university so had a degree it's almost like having an, and this would be some advice i would give to to players listening and coaches and parents when you have that bit more of a backup backup situation educationally, it, it seems to just maybe take a little bit of the edge off. Yeah. Why I why am I going to take the risk? And 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 I also think, you know, touching on it, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, Marcus, you know, some of maybe the the mental difficulties as well. Of, of almost having that backup of a degree, having that backup of something that if tennis doesn't work out, I've got this to fall back on. Is that something that maybe you wish you'd done or in retrospectively? At the time when I was offered to go to college, it wasn't really a done thing. Yeah. Like not many players had like, oh, you hear a story about so-and-so, a talented player here on there. But nowadays, I've, yeah, I've got, a side, I've got a bit of side business going on with recruiting players to go to college. Because that's something I think that every player should do. Unless you're winning challenges 15, 16, 17 years old and you're, you're that good, I think that you need to be going to college for four years. You get pretty much a free scholarship. You get to be around the team so you don't have those lows. And you're getting tons of matches, tons of experience whilst having a degree. Yep. So you're coming out 21 years old, raring to go, playing great tennis because you, you just will with the amount of training you're doing and the matches you're playing, match type fired up you're 21 with a degree most people are 18 19 going straight out there i think yeah give yourself a much better chance there's more long long longevity it's it's sort of a no-brainer now listening to your story it just feels there was maybe there's there's that that my maturity yeah i would have matured quicker i was would have been around people it's something i should have done definitely but i can't look back and go ah absolute sitter of a chance it, it wasn't really done then and I'd just been offered this big contract to the LTA and stopped my parents playing for my tennis I was like yeah it's great little do you know a year later you're on your ass again so if I knew what I knew now yeah 100% that's why I'm trying to help other people 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I've got no issue with it. Like it wasn't a, an option for me at the time. I wish it. I wish it was. I thought if I went to college, I'd be giving up tennis or going to muck around or whatever. I didn't know enough about it. And as I said, I got offered these deals, and I was 14 in the World Junior. Like, I was already convinced I'd be top 200 in two years. I thought it would be uh, much smoother than it was. It brings through the the importance of, of the education on it, doesn't it? You know, educa- yeah. just educating on the journey and where where it all fits and what the realities are and what to expect and what the possibilities are. And I, I think as we as we're going through this sport, I think that's that's something that more and more people are doing. You know, even if I yeah. go back eleven years ago when I set up the academy here in Spain. Uh, that was kind of my philosophy and and I felt like I was I was almost the only one doing it whereas now you see it left right and center that that's that's the way that people are starting to starting to filter so Marcus to take you into maybe something a bit more positive you know I think we've uh, you know we've we've done the the tennis thing the British tennis thing but to to move you into your your experiences and I just I can't help but smile when I think of Wimbledon 2016. So, <laughs> so God knows how it makes you feel. And again, for, for those listening, Marcus was a, was a late entry into the pre-qualifying in Wimbledon, turned up, beat Luke Bambridge, Johnny O'Mara and Joe Salisbury, which, yeah, which on, on a grass court, none, yeah. of, none of those matches are easy. And then moved into the qualifying at Wimbledon, where he had wins over Medvedev, Rublev, and Sagita uh, before qualifying and playing Barankas, which I, I ran down from the changing rooms to watch the last set of that, which was just unbelievable, to then go on and play Roger Federer on centre court. I mean, it almost doesn't sound real when I start speaking about it. So I like hearing it, mate. It's great. I know what's coming, but I'm just like... <laughs> Talk yeah, us, no. talk us through that experience. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was, I was playing French and German league, and I bit a guy two eighty on the clay at three and love. I was playing good, but obviously I had no expectation. But I wasn't surprised as such to pre quali. I was over the moon because I'd signed in. I thinking like my missus said, I'll sign in. And I was always going to, but she was like, "We'll drive down there if you get in." And so I rang up, and they said, "Oh, Marcus, you last in." joiner it was on the phone and I was like oh it's strong this year then because normally it's like cuts like a thousand I was 770 772 or something yeah and I've rocked up the night before and because it rained we got 10 minutes on the grass before your match got an extended warm-up but I hadn't actually hit on on grass because I've been playing French and German league and coaching mini reds and stuff like that um and yeah obviously I played great I didn't lose my serve and I think I lost my serve once in those three matches in pre-college and then when I pre-qualified, mate, it's like four grand in the bank. I was like over the moon. And then I saw the draw. I was at a cold play contest actually with my family. And I saw the draw and I was like, ah. Oh. I played Sagita before. He returns great. He qualified the last three years. I think I went 6-1 down in 17 minutes, something like that. And he missed a passing shot at all in the second like on the tape. And then from there, I just played great. Beat him one in the third. And then Rublev next match, four and five. And then Medvedev. Medvedev got delayed a day. We got put out in the backcourt of the Bank of England. It's like so windy and like sawdust coming up everywhere. And I remember going 5-1 down and thought, right, I'm not going to try and play tennis anymore. I'm just going to bring the guy to the net and serve volley the whole time. I didn't serve in corners because he was just putting balls past me at angles. And I was like, right. So I just served body, chipped it about. 
and by the end I was playing great. Yeah. When I qualified, I came out of those Bank of England courts and it was media swarm. Like it took me like ten minutes to get up the hill. It was just in grill. Yeah. It was surreal to be honest. Really surreal. My mate who's a cabbie came to watch and he drove me all the way to Warwick saying, I said, mate, I need to get out of here. This is mad. Went home, did an interview with Sky, whack on the TV, and I'm there. It's my face <laughs> with the interview, like breaking news. I was like, what? And then the next day, me and my missus drove to, to Wimbledon from Warwick, picked up my badge. And mate, it was like the best feeling in the world. There, had a pracky with my coach. I invited Smithy because after I qualified, I was coachless through quality because I wasn't really playing. I'd, I'd had to go and stop and coach a little bit. Yeah. And so, yeah, picking up the badge and prackying. I played a practice set. I was playing great. Made it to Wimby, mate. 80 quid in your food badge. Like, it's just a different world. I was so, like, content. And then the draw came out, Barankis. And last time I played him was under 14. I lost two in love. He was unbelievable junior. I think he was number one in the world. And it was like John Morris said to me, no, you can beat him. But he won't like playing you. And then Smithy showed me Evo's match against him at Nottingham. Evo did him, like, four in the third in Nottingham a few weeks before. So I had a good look at him and thought, right, okay. I pretty much know what he's going to do. And so, obviously, obviously it's still hard. You've still got to go and play well, which I did. Um, yeah, I beat him in straights as well. Three, three, three and four or something. Just, yeah, I played great, but like, yeah, the atmosphere was just... It was incredible. Like the atmosphere was just a joke. Oh, I was mean, out I... on court 17, I walk on, there's this massive roar and people snapping apparently because they can't get on the court. <laughs> I was like, what? This has like become a story now, is it? But yeah, so I had nothing to lose and I just went and played like best tennis that I could and stars aligned for a couple of weeks, mate. It was great because I, I felt it. like I was always quite unlucky before with stuff like I'm I won around at Wimby College when I was 18 and never quite got the rub of the green as such. But I can't complain about that now. Absolutely. And, and to take <laughs> you, if I take you back to qualies, playing Medvedev, who, I mean, God, I mean, look what Medvedev's doing now. But if, if we, playing Medvedev, was there, was there a moment where it became real, where, where you were fighting nerves or, or did you manage to just kind of stay yeah. in that, in was, that flow? I was 5-1 down, mate, and I remember thinking like, I would hate to lose last round qualities. It did. I lost last round qualities the next year. It sucked. Like to go that far and like people start talking about it and like you've got to get through this somehow. I was five one down. I was playing all right. The guy was just lasers and winners everywhere. And I, ma- I remember I managed to break him. I got to five four and had break points on uh, five three. And I had break points to get to five four. And I lost a set, but I remember thinking, right, I'm in the match now. Yeah. But at that point, I, I was. Playing, I was playing well. I wasn't missing. I was coming in, was flicking angles and slapping return winners and just hitting rockets. And I was like, well, I didn't see a way I was going to get through it. But I just hustled and hustled. And as I said, getting those games on the board, even though I lost the first, gave me confidence. And I, I broke him at 6-5 to win the second. And I remember him going absolutely nuts. And I remember thinking, OK, I've got him here. And I went a break down first game in the third. And he literally screamed like he was... I just, I just want to slam like he was so... And I remember thinking, like, he's really nervous here. Yeah. I broke him straight back, went, like, 4-1 up. Like, and then I choked a bit, serving for the 4, for 5-2 up. I played a really loose game. Then he holds, and I've got off my chair at 5-4. And his coach at the time said, don't choke again. Did he? Yeah. And I looked at him and went, thanks to you, I won't now, mate. And I went out and held to laugh. Because, like, once someone gets in my grill, I'm like, right, game on. But I was getting a bit tight. 
<laughs> he gets in my grill and I'm like, right. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm so glad that happened because if it, yeah, if people keep quiet, I can get quite tight. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It, it is. Something for a like, to call it for a slam, mate. It hits you. you. You know about it. I know you say I'm focused, but you know what the score is there. Um, and yeah, I helped a laugh. And then after I qualified, I was like, this is cloud nine. It was, yeah, it was like the best day of my life. That 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 day against Barankis, that was the best day of my tennis. Like the atmosphere, the wind, like it was just like euphoric, mate. Like, well, what must be a, weird? Yeah, what must be amazing is like because that if I if I think of two big moments away from kind of your superstars, it's the 2012 Wimbledon when Johnny Murray and Freddie Nielsen won doubles. That was a joke, yeah. It's just amazing. And then it's 2016 was was your was your was your moment. And 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 I think we'll all remember where we were. And just to share a little story, which I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I I was in the changing rooms. There was a few of the British lads in the changing rooms. And Federer was in the changing rooms. And the match was on. And and Fed was like. I think it might have been Hiltz was there. So it was like, we, we knew him from, you know, Junior. So we were kind of chatting away to him. And he said, oh, he is, oh the British, this is the British boy. And I think you might have played before Federer. So he hadn't won his yeah. match yet. But he was like, he was watching and he said, uh, he said, oh, he's, he's got a great slice. He said, Willis wins this. He said, because Barankas can't handle the slice into the forehand. He said Barankas can't get the ball up and down on his forehand. So so Fed had actually predicted, I don't know what the score was, but he predicted that you were that you were gonna beat him, you know, from from watching yeah. it. You know, he's he a different did, level up there though, isn't he? Oh, unbelievable. He just said, look, Barankas just can't deal with that slice. And he I didn't even know that until now. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was enjoying watching it. So then I I ran down. To, to that court and I was at the like back end of that court for the last set and the atmosphere and the shoes off and the, you know all of and it was a lot of the tennis boys which was nice as well it was a lot of the yeah. tennis boys that I recognized just just an incredible moment so 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 you've you've won that match that's happened talk us through that as you come off that court y- your life's changed I guess yeah, I mean, like, my, my, my old man sent me the video the other day of the walk-off court, man, I couldn't move. Like, it was yeah. just heaving, and, like, people watching over centre and over court one, like, off the balcony. I didn't notice, but I've just, just seen the footage after. It's like, people were tuning in. Um, and, yeah, after that, I remember going to media, it's been, like, two, three hours, and John was helping me, going, like, you're going to have to say no to quite a lot of stuff, mate. And I was like, why? And he was like, you'll be there all day. Like, he realised how big it was, and then... It was more after I lost the feds how, how big I knew it was. Right, Next okay. day I'm on Good Morning, yeah, I'm with Willoughby and Schofield on TV. Like that next couple of weeks was just mad. I went on Piers Morgan, Susanna Reid. Like I was like, you know, from from three weeks before I was signing in, calling Dickie Joyner on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Then like Southlands, what court? When am I on mate? To them being on, getting up at five, getting a car, driving me to get my makeup done to talk for 10 minutes and be paid on national TV. Like You can't really prepare yourself for that. <laughs> but it's, no. As I said, it's all positive. But yeah, as I said earlier, like the drop-off after that, as time went on, yeah, I got a bit more negative and life was a bit tougher because it's gone, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, absolutely. That euphoria is just, you're back to 
but I've got to the stage now where I just I love normal life. I love the fact that I don't have any more drama. And yeah. like, as I said, I'll try and help other players out. But the best thing was when I decided in my head, I've been so relaxed. I've been so happy, so content with just taking a step back, not trying to fight anymore. But yeah, what, what a great few weeks. And the Fed, what about the Fed match? Talk us through that day. I'm still, I'm still like mixed feelings about that. After after the match, everyone's giving me high fives and saying, "Well done." And I'm, I was pissed off, mate. I, I was in the third. I had break points to surf in the third, and I was playing great by then. First set, I think I won 21 points and lost six loves. So I was just on the big points. He makes the court feel really small. He's on the baseline. Um, I was surprised at how solid he was and how little he went for, unless he had to. Okay. Obviously, he takes the ball early and moves you around, but it looks like he's never taking risks. And when I've watched him growing up, you just see the highlights and the flash. You don't see him block returns six inches from the baseline down the middle. That took me back. And then, yeah, played a decent match in the end. I, I wish I got upset. I wish I took him on a bit better than I did. But as I said, it could have been a lot worse. But yeah, after the match, everyone's like, well done, well done. <laughs> John said the other day, I had this chat. And he was like, I didn't want to talk to anyone for 15, 20 minutes. Normally, I'm quite full of banter, but yeah, I wasn't obviously wasn't used to, used to losing at the time. And yeah, you yeah, when you play on centre court, you want to play your best ever tennis and win, don't you? So I believed I could win the match before. I was disappointed, rightly or wrongly. That's how I felt. But um, isn't, isn't it incredibly British that there is this kind of whole well done thing? And again, if you don't mind yeah. me jump, jumping in with a quick story, Johnny Murray played against Leighton Hewitt. In I was the, there at Queens. The third, the third round, yeah. Six and, and six. Six and six. And so I was living with Johnny at the time. I was his roommate and I was kind of, I was playing, but he, I don't think he had a coach at the time. So I was in the coach box with him. And he had five set points, both sets, maybe five or six, one set. Bleak blonde hair. Yeah, and he, but he played incredible. And and as and as he walked off the court and he's walking back up the stairs in the pavilion, there's, he's getting a standing ovation. And everyone's, there, yeah. and everyone's patting him on the back, patting them on the back. And as we walk to the changing rooms, Leighton Hewitt is there and Leighton's turned around and he said to his coach, what the f- are all of them clapping about? He's just lost. Like he couldn't, he couldn't believe that this, this British guy was getting this like unbelievable standing ovation yeah. for losing. Now, I guess there's two ways to look at that. Ultimately, I guess what you're getting is you're getting that round of applause and all of that, that well done for this incredible journey and story. But at the same time, maybe that British mentality of celebrating the person who's lost the match. Yeah, I think people just want entertainment. I remember that match being a jet like Johnny Mary. Like it could, at the time, I remember thinking this could be two and two. Like he's going to be. So he did better than people expected. And it was an entertaining match. I think to clap that and applaud that and give more like good luck for the future. That's how I see it. Yeah. Like appreciating how well they've done, but yeah, there is that straight after a match. You don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be hearing our oh, great run mate. Well done. Give me an hour. And I look back, but I've just lost. And this, but this is players are different, right? Some, some, sometimes I came off court and went, right, let's go home. Never mind. A couple of chances. Other times I don't speak for two hours. Yeah. I lost a Baghdadis once in, in Manchester and I didn't speak for a couple of hours. And I remember my mate Milts at the time and trying to speak to me and he said, your eyes, mate, like you look like you wanted to kill someone. I was like, yeah, I was assuming. That was a load of pile of crap. Like, yeah. 
and other times, yeah, fine. But I think it's, yeah, it is quite British to celebrate the underdog and stuff like that. But I think people were maybe not clapping my performance as such, but the run, the story behind it, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as you say, it happens once in a blue moon, this stuff, doesn't it? It does not. not if you see a Brit lose on centre to three, one, and four, they don't get that sort of a, a clap unless there's a story behind it as such. Yeah. And people love a story in England, don't they? Yeah, love absolutely love it. <laughs> and fi- financially, what did that mean to you? Obviously, you had the prize money, but then it seemed like you were everywhere for a while after that. Were you able? Yeah, to- I was in everyone's face. <laughs> were, were you able to cash in on it? Yeah, that 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 year, I made a lot of money. Obviously, the tax bill was huge. But I had quite a bit of debt as well through, through credit cards through trying to run, play tennis over the years. So I didn't I didn't get a house or anything like that, but I did okay. It gave me some breathing space for sure. Um, that year was really, really, really good. But as I said, like trying to play the last couple of years, you're just losing, losing, losing all the time. And it's got to a point where now I'm like, no, I don't want to keep, <laughs> I don't want this anymore. Yeah. And maybe part of it, because, yeah, it will never be that good again. Maybe it's a negative way of thinking about it, but it's mainly I don't want to leave myself struggling to pay, pay bills. If, if I take you back, Marcus, to, to July 2016, you now know what you know. What do you do different? Such, such a good question. Um, what do I do different? Knowing what I do now, mate, I either hang the bats up and take my 220k and go on Celebrity Big Brother, or I, I go to an academy and train my nuts off. I don't know which. <laughs> 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 but I probably floated around too much, and yeah, yeah, I can get back to that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll train here, and I did a couple of training box in the states, and it's great, but yeah, I never really never really put pressure on myself to make a decision which is what I've done now better late than never <laughs> yeah absolutely so is is celebrity big brother still on the cards no I don't know I don't think they they air the program anymore I'm probably more Z-less now than A or B list <laughs> like I was those two weeks but... you'd have to you'd have to eat some serious bugs <laughs> yeah <laughs> to get on <laughs> um, uh, there's a reason I didn't choose that I think that yeah the press can get quite intrusive for you and your family and there's a reason I didn't want it um, the money was unbelievable but I, I, I don't know it's, it's a dangerous route to go down that, I think I don't know if I'd deal that well with it because money's okay I'm money motivated but it's not the be all and end all for me and I think it comes back to yeah purpose right in the end I think yeah, maybe I'd struggle with that I've thought about it like over and over in my head like these questions are asking me I've gone overdrive with it so oh. <laughs> So what? So that moves me into the future. And before we talk about the future of Marcus Willis, you've talked quite a bit about British tennis and, you know, with, with passion, you know, and, and, and I would say there's been quite a strong underlying negativity that maybe there could have been, you know, more support for you, more support for your peer group. What's, what's the future support, of British not tennis? Finan- support, not necessarily financial. I, I agree. Think, I think... Um, the way I look at it is if you've got 10 players and 100 grand, I'll give 10 grand to 10 players, not 50 to two. And I think that's the best way of describing it. Because I feel like over the years, they've picked one or two players and just peppered them rather than give more people less of an opportunity and see what happens, keep them in the game for longer. 
I feel like there needs to, there's loads and loads of decent players, man, as you know. And I feel like one or two just overshadow everyone else. For the, yeah, obviously they're better at that stage in their career, but sometimes it can be too much for them. You think, like I interviewed Ollie Golding not long ago and he said it was just, yeah, too much for him in the end. It's not what he wanted. And because there's all this attention, all this funding, all this. I think maybe if you're around a group of people who are all eight of them cracking on and bantering and might have been different, but that's one example. This is what I would do if I were in control of it. Yep. I'm not. I think quite a few people would be happy with that. But um, <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather see more players with with less thrown into them, just to create more opportunity. I'd, obviously, no brainer. Tournaments in the UK at all levels, and the bonus game was amazing. But if, if you can't do all three, then at least one or two of them, you know. Yeah. I feel like they've had everything or nothing. <laughs> but now there's no tournaments, no bonus game. I wouldn't even know where to go. I remember going to the NTC. Was it last year? I booked a call for practice and I got billed for 24 quid <laughs> for an hour. Whereas the year and a half before, they're like, come and train with us before you go to Vienna ATP. <laughs> this is the world, though. People are fickle, right? But, you know, stuff like that needs to just go. Yeah, it does, yeah. I paid them their 24 quid. I hope they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's making it harder for people that are struggling and easier for people that aren't it's, it's not it's like backing a horse when they've crossed the line isn't it? Yeah, absolutely and, and i seem to think yeah i feel like that's what they do they'll, they'll whack loads of money into someone that's already made <laughs> but it's about decision making and, and again that hits me with you you've got to 30 31 years old and you're only now in a position where you feel you can almost make a strong decision it feels like you've been riddled with indecisiveness yeah. throughout your career and, and and I can't help thinking that that's what the system creates yeah it's like we think you're good we think you're bad we think you're good we think you're bad yeah. you, you know so then so then what ends up happening is we're, uh, tennis what players, am I <laughs> yeah what am I and, and but also almost like waiting for someone else to make that decision you know, and, and I think, and I think that happens with a lot of players. Is they receive all of this funding, so then it's just they play because they play. That's what they do. Why wouldn't you? You know, why why wouldn't you play when you're getting yeah. funding? Fun? But but actually, what do you want? What do you what do you really want with your life? You know, where where does because also there's a big old life after tennis. So so where does where does tennis fit within the context of your life? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and and how we can actually help players with with those sort of decisions so that because I'm a I'm a big believer that almost making that bigger picture decision leads to day-to-day decisions being quite simple if if your purpose is strong enough. Yeah. Whereas whereas if you if your purpose isn't that strong and you haven't made these strong bigger picture decisions, you end you end up just doubting yourself and having having this little competition with yourself every day, this niggle, do I want to do it? Should I do it? Do I get up? Do I go to the gym? Am I gonna work hard today? Am I gonna travel? Am I gonna it, you, you 
you're constantly kind of battling yourself. I'm whereas so reactive to things, yeah. Completely. Whereas if that decision's absolutely made, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going there for this reason, and that's going to help me then in, in my life after tennis, then do you know what? Of course you're going to get up and go to the gym. Of course you're going to get up and put the work in, you know, and I think yeah. that that's where we need to try and help educate educate our players. And that's well, why I think, I think that's where the funding system lets us down a little bit. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I've never heard it like that, but it's, it is. I was very indecisive and, and it is what the system creates, yeah. So what's the future for you? Got to get my level one, my level three. I'm going to be doing that with Smithy at Bromley whilst coaching some good juniors, learning the ropes a bit like that. And then taking it a year at a time, I'd like, I'd like to, in the end, work with some world-class players. Ideally, coach a player at a slam one day, but baby steps for now. So we're not losing you to tennis? No, 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 no. I'll always be like, I've done it all my life and I'm very passionate about it. Um, I was starting to resent it and hate it a bit. And I don't want to lose that because it's such a great sport and I do love it. So uh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and, and being a coach is a massive privilege, mate. You know, it yeah. really is. It's it's a it's an it's an amazing job, and you know we've we, we're in a very privileged position to 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 influence lots of people in a very positive way. You know, and I think exactly, yeah. I, I think you, yeah, and I think you're going to be absolutely brilliant at that. And I think you yeah. know your your positive and negative experiences. The more that you've had, the better of a coach that you can be. And, you know, you've certainly had your your positives and yeah. your negatives. And, and for you to be able to take that on board, these players that are going to be working with you are very lucky, mate. So all the best. Thanks, with buddy. Appreciate it. Are you ready for a quick fire round? Go on, then. Singles or doubles? Singles. Forehand or backhand? Backhand. Angle or lob? Oh, lob. Top spin or slice? Slice. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. How high can Dan Evans go? Give us a ranking. 15 in the world. United or City? City. Injury timeout or not? Not. One rule change that you would have in tennis? No let on the serve. And who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Jeremy Bates. Batesy. We haven't had him. So you do, you do know that's your job now. Oh, yeah? That's your job. Yeah, let, let me know when you've <laughs> set him up. Yeah, it's, uh, It was in the small print, man. It was in the small print. <laughs> I didn't read it. you got to read the small print. And bef- before you go, because I know that you are often on the other side of this podcast, Lark, let, let people know about your podcast as well. Let's get, let's get people listening to your podcast, get them from yours over to ours. You know, there's plenty to Fantastic. share around here. Yeah, share, share, uh, share the spoil. Yeah, it's called What You're Talking About with us. That's my podcast with my mate Dave, Dave L, who's a, a another, I think he's, yeah, he's level five in um, in London. So yeah, we're having good fun. We're talk, talking in depth about certain different players, different coaching methods, winning, losing. Great. Well, get, get yourself uh, yeah. over to there, listeners. And uh, yeah, no, thanks so much. It's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Well done on a, on a great playing career. And something tells me that the coaching career is going to be even better, mate. So all the very best. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Top man. A big thank you to Marcus for coming on the show. 
to have him on the show so soon after the announcement of his retirement was was a real treat for us to get into the raw emotion. And there was certainly some raw emotion in that, Vicky, wasn't there? Yeah, it really was. I mean, when you think most of the people that we speak to, they will have stopped playing maybe two, five, ten years previously, but he's just made that decision. Do do you think he really has stopped? I think he has. I, I, I think there's very clear, though, that he's still in a little bit of turmoil with it. And it was it was a fascinating conversation because, like you say, to, to catch him so soon after, after the decision... I'm sure he's had a lot of time to think about it over COVID, but it just felt to me like he's constantly negotiating these things in his own head, you know, almost like a day-to-day. And, you know, if we go back as he talks throughout his career, you know, there's a good year, there's a bad year, there's a good few weeks, there's a bad few weeks. And, and I just couldn't help thinking, I wish I'd got a hold of Marcus Willis a few years ago and really managed to help him almost connect with a bigger purpose of why he's playing tennis. I just really feel that that was missing. And and because of that, I guess there'll always be that little bit of doubt in his mind. I'm sure as time goes on, and especially if he goes in to coaching where I have no doubt where that he will have a lot of success as a coach, then through time, I guess that will that will die down a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to speak to him again in five, ten years, just to see. I'd imagine his reflection and his outlook on his career would probably be be quite different. Yeah, without question. And there's there's actually so much there that that Marcus spoke about that I could relate to, and and I think that was one of the things that both of us connected to a little bit with the chat. You know, I think we we both struggled with our weight throughout our career. We both potentially were seen as jokers at different points. And and, and, I, and I think that's the other interesting thing for me in this. It's why do people behave in a certain way? You know, and I think if you ask people in British tennis about Marcus Willis, I think the word that would come up would be joker a little bit, you know. And, and actually, the reality is he's just like me and you. He's just like you guys as listeners. There's insecurities there. There's reasons that we try and behave in certain ways to hide certain ways that we feel. And and I guess this is maybe where the sport lets us down a little bit or where the sport is so difficult because you're on your own. You're on your own out there. And those insecurities are magnified so much, so much more because of that. Whereas, and I remember speaking to Josh Ward Hibbert on this, you know, who was, Josh Ward Hibbert was a top 10 junior in the world. He went on and is now a professional basketball player. And I asked Josh, what are the differences between tennis and basketball? And he really clearly said, when he's playing basketball, if he has a high and he feels good about himself, the team bring him back down to earth quite quickly because he's got to reset and be there for the team. But at the same side, when he has a low, the team are there to pick him back up. And so many times we see, and I say this many times, it's the losing that kills us, the ability to be able to handle the losing if it doesn't fit into our bigger purpose. But also, I thought really interestingly, he talked about maybe not always having the right coach by his side. Yeah, he talked about that quite a lot, not being given the option to be able to choose his own coach. I mean, how important would you say that is? Yeah, I mean, it's massive. It's certainly a big big reflection of mine as a player as well and 
I think it is one of the things that federations around the world are probably working on doing right now, where maybe in the past, I think that was a bit of an error. It was almost like, come and train with us, but it's kind of our way or the highway. And ultimately, it's such an individualized sport. Those connections that you have with your coach is 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 absolutely vital. And would it have been different for Marcus if that had happened? Maybe, you know, and I think we talk about momentum, we talk about timing, we talk about luck in this sport as well. But ultimately, he has to take responsibility for his own actions. And, and I think he did that within the podcast. And once again, that message is coming through loud and clear with all of our guests on the show. You know, you've got to take absolute responsibility and ownership for your own actions. And hopefully he will do that moving forward into his coaching. I have to say one last big shout out to Marcus. And I, I really am looking forward to hearing the responses from you guys on this. Yeah, and you can do that by heading over to our Soso Tennis Facebook, Instagram or Twitter accounts, or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you thought about the episode with Marcus. And I do have to mention somebody who reached out after our last episode with Borna Chorich, and that was his agent, who ever so politely got in touch with me to let me know that I'd been saying his name wrong throughout the episode. So a big apology to Borna for calling you Borna Chorich. And for anybody out there who is a tennis fan, make sure you remember that next time. Borna Chorich. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I would thoroughly recommend it. It's had already rave reviews from so many of you to get a tennis player that's currently playing the game to give that level of insight really was incredible. And thank you, Borna, for not correcting Dan every time he said it wrong. <laughs> Very polite. Um, we can't go without congratulating our competition winner. Um, for our 100th episode, we gave away a free STA online course. Lots of you entered, but it was Betty Stolk from Belgium. Um, Betty and her son Jonathan have won a um, Sorcerer Tennis Academy online course of their choice. So congratulations. A big well done from from all at Control the Controllables. And Betty has certainly been a big supporter of the podcast. And I know that you guys are enjoying and getting stuck into the course. And actually, you know what, guys? If you haven't checked out the online courses at the Academy, we don't often give it a plug. But go and give it a little check out. We'll leave that link in the podcast notes as well. But as always, many, many podcasts to look forward to. But until next time... I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.